The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. But we're going to start with, I suppose, some of the politics of the day and some of the stories that are dominating our papers. And I'm joined now by Ralph Regal, Southern Correspondent for the Irish Independent. Ralph, good morning. Good morning, Pat. So what uh, has taken you from the front pages of our uh, local newspapers, both at The Examiner and The Indo, your own paper, and The Times? Yeah, I think they're dominated by, by two major issues today. Uh, you have a, a lot of tributes and a lot of lookbacks on the career and life and times of Ben Dunn. That really dominates all the papers today. Um, such a giant of a character within Irish society. And I think it's it's worth bearing in mind that so much of the world we live in today, certainly in, in terms of the retail landscape, was shaped by Ben Dunn. And uh, the other story then is a very interesting one um, that a lot, a lot of attention has been paid to. It's a report by the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. And what they've looked at is the whole online space, uh, social media, and the use of it by the far right to promote their agenda. And I think that's a very interesting story because we've seen at grassroots level in Ireland so many protests about refugees, refugee centres, um, the type of material that's being stocked in libraries. We've seen protests over vac- vaccines. And that it, it, it's the same group of people that are generally involved yeah. in all of those protests. And, and the, the problem is that there are people who have genuine issues with some of the controversial subjects that you mention, and they are being used as the dupes of the far right. They're, they're in a sense, rent-a-crowd yeah. to disguise the activities of the far right. But the far right is actually still very small. They're very small, Pat, yeah, but I think it's it, what I suppose the matter for concern is that they're so effective at manipulating information. And the concern is that over time, and we've seen this in a lot of other countries, that it starts out as a small cadre of people and they use information, they weaponize information, they play to people's fears, they heighten concerns over issues within society. But critically, what they do is they identify minorities. Well, they are, they are to blame for that. And if you listen to us, we can solve these problems. And I think the concern is that we're a very tolerant society in Ireland. I think we have been very welcoming of a lot of migrants. We tend to be a very consensus-based society. And I think the concern is that certain issues that might have jolted that consensus would be exploited by these people going forward. Now, uh, that, that's a very interesting story and one I think that will grow and grow as we head towards uh, the elections, uh, be they European, local yep. or uh, the national uh, election. Uh, you mentioned the other big story, the tributes being paid to uh, Ben Dunn. And it, it's interesting, there's a generational thing here that um, there are people like yourself and myself who remember mm-hmm. Ben Dunn's all, uh, adventures, which were many. Yes. And then there are people who think, Ben Dunn, isn't he the fellow that runs the gyms? Yeah. And it's interesting because I think that if you look back on, say, our generation, I mean, he was a giant on the Irish social landscape, the Irish business landscape, and latterly, as we discovered through the various tribunals within the political landscape as well, certainly in terms of finances and contributions that were made to certain politicians. But I think what's interesting about the man is that, you know, the way he reinvented himself that, I mean, here was an individual that was a titan of Irish business had a fall from grace, managed to reinvent himself 
and was perceptive enough to see where the whole growth in leisure activity in gyms was going to be. And I remember scoffing at the time myself that when I saw he was getting involved in gyms, I thought, is that is that the best that he can do? But he was very farsighted. He saw the business opportunities that were there. And his model was a different uh, type of model instead of the annual sub, which was a, a, a bit of a stretch for many people to yeah. pony up hundreds of euro at one fell swoop. Uh, he was prepared to let people pay by a, the month or even the week. Uh, yeah. It was a different model and it, it worked very well. Um, his other uh, adventures, I mean, in a sense, uh, he was involved in all the big chapters yeah. of Irish life. He was kidnapped uh, by the IRA. I don't know whether this is a makey up thing, but the, the tweet from Mary Lou MacDonald yeah. that, that's going around where it's, if it is from her yeah. saying he was sadly missed and yeah. lovely man and so on. And then the immediate response from someone was... Um, you do remember that you kidnapped him, yeah. right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is... The, the irony of, of mm. that uh, from Mary Lou McDonald is quite extraordinary, if indeed it was from her and not from somebody else, yeah. that the IRA, the sister organisation of uh, mm-hmm. Sinn Féin, kidnapped Ben. Yeah. And I suppose one of the things that we look back on as well is that, you know, what impact did that have on him? He was quite a young man when he was abducted. And what impact did that have on, you know, how he managed stress and how he dealt with things going forward? And you know, I recall that the famous line from a commentator when Margaret Thatcher was departing office and he was mourning the fact that they were losing a political titan and that they'd be subjected to writing about political pygmies afterwards. Yeah. And you got that sense with Ben Dunn as well, that he was a man that was just bigger than his era. I mean, if you look at the fact that so much um, both good and bad connected from him in terms of the Irish retail landscape um, that he was one of those that pioneered the out-of-town shopping centres which are now very much a fixture of urban or the urban landscape but also I mean the whole the tribunals the contributions and of course the famous line Sam Smith's famous line of course was you know thanks a million big fella you know, the, yeah. the couple of days after Charles Hawhey departed office, the bank checks that were given to him in Abbeville, and that was his thank you to Ben Dunn. Yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, his fall from grace. Uh, and he rescued himself from the fall from grace by being honest, by being confessional, yeah. when uh, he had that episode with cocaine in, mm-hmm. in Florida. But again, you know, this is a precursor to what we might call today's generation, the cocaine generation. Yeah. And, uh, ben and high rollers like him were indulging in that at that time. Yeah. A long time th- ago. Yeah, very much so, Pat. And, and I think you, you very much hit the nail in the head. This was at a time when it was very much a rare and exotic substance. It wasn't really part and parcel of, of say, the Irish social scene. And, you know, in fairness to the man, he came back, he put his hands up, he gave the most incredible, as you described it, confessional um interviews about his experiences there was the dramatic fall from grace when he lost the power struggle within Dunn stores but yet I think if you look at the way he rebuilt his career the way he he stayed involved in society and I think people shouldn't lose fa- a very generous man yeah. both to his friends and to charities over the years indeed he was and yet tough on his suppliers um, yep. What has happened since, of course, I mean, if you like the father who was, uh, it's a Cork story, really, Ben yep. Dunn Sr. Then Ben Dunn Jr. takes over, uh, even though he's uh, the younger the sibling. The youngest of the family, that's right. He takes over. Uh, but when eventually they threw him out because of his carry-on, 
Margaret Heffernan takes over and truly has transformed Dunn Stores. I yeah. mean, there, there was a mantra that Ben Dunn Sr. had, which was never be undersold by anyone. In other words, always be the cheapest in the marketplace. Yes. And then Margaret Heffernan identifying that, you know, there is pre-mark and H&M and places yes. like that. You know, we're not going to go there. No. And they've moved up market and they have done hugely well. Yeah, very much so, Pat. And it's quite fitting that we're, we're talking about that here in Cork today because, of course, Dunn Stores, first store, was in Cork. It's on Patrick Street and it's, it's a brand that the company are very, very proud of. And if you look at some of their stores, I, th- I think in particular Bishopstown here in Cork, it is very much an upmarket store. I mean, it has gone for quality brands. It's gone for extra quality in terms of clothing, in terms of home furnishings. And it has been a huge success story. Now, going back to your time in the United States and the uh, sentencing hearing for Molly Martins, it sounded like a trial, but it wasn't because there was a plea bargain and they were guilty of this second degree manslaughter. I was becoming, as you and I chatted on many mornings, I was becoming more and more incensed by the way the American legal system works, that they were allowed to provide all sorts of stuff, rubbishing the Corbett family, rubbishing Jason Corbett, rubbishing his his family, uh, and there was no real riposte. Now, the judge, it turns out, had read a lot of the stuff and had been informed, but even so, uh, what emerged for taking the life of someone, bludgeoning a man to death they got a very light touch sentence. Oh, absolutely. And I, I don't think I can put it any better than, than, than Sarah Corbett in her victim impact statement, which was saying that, you know, my dad's life was worth more than a few years in prison. But ultimately, they're going to serve about four years and three months for taking a man's life in the most horrendous and violent of circumstances. And it unfortunate that is the American system. It was an agreed plea bargain arrangement. And was this to save money, do you think? Simple I, as that, a very expensive trial? I think it's an element of it, Pat. There's no point saying that it's not. Um, North Carolina has quite a high homicide rate. Uh, There's a major backlog of cases because of the COVID-19 pandemic still lingering effects of it there. Um, This would have been, this retrial would have been between six and eight weeks in duration. The original trial was five weeks back in 2017. And I think in fairness to the prosecution, I think they probably looked long and hard at some of the evidence that the defence were going to introduce, such as the problems about the Irish pathology report over Jason Corbett's first wife, uh, some of the evidence that was given by Molly Martin's friends. But the reality is that it was a sentencing hearing. Everyone had a voice, everyone had someone to defend them, except Jason Corbett. It was fair game. Whatever was said about his character was basically left unchallenged. But when we look at Tom Martin's the, the father and he getting credit for his exemplary service to yep. the FBI and the country, and I was just thinking, well, Mr. Hitler, um, you know, we were going to execute you, but we're not going to do because you built the autobahns. Yeah. It was that kind of stuff. Yeah, it very much was. And I think probably, well, certainly from, from, from what I felt, the, the most upsetting day was when one of the, the hired guns, effectively, experts that are brought in by the defence were discussing the level of violence that was that was inflicted on Jason Corbett. And instead of saying, well, look, you know, as the, as both, you know, Tom and Molly Martins had said that they had admitted this was excessive violence, they went too far. But the defence expert, all he would say was that, oh, it was an example of how terrified Tom and Molly were. And that was very upsetting to the family. One member of the family involuntarily said, yeah. oh, my God. 
at which point the judge warned that he wanted yeah. control within the, the courtroom. But th- there wasn't a scratch on the pair of them? No, nope, not a thing, not a thing. To the point where Jason Corbett wasn't only taken out of that room on a stretcher, his blood was on the ceilings, on the walls, on the carpet, on the furniture. And I'm, ca- I'm mindful of the hour of the morning, but the reality of the scale of his injuries is that when he was put on the medical examination table to be prepared for the post-mortem, there were pieces of his skull actually falling out onto the table. That's the level, the horrific level of violence that was inflicted on this man using a metal Louisville slugger baseball bat and a heavy concrete paving slab to the point again to stress that Tom and Molly Martins they didn't have so much as a scratch a bruise a cut anything on them now in the aftermath um, you know we got the the sentencing and there's a a span of sentences they may uh, serve but one way or the other they'll be out in relatively short order because of uh, time served What of the friends of the Martins family and the way they treated the Corbett family after the hearing? Yeah, it was extraordinary. Um, It was was pointed out by the prosecution that the Davidson County Police took over 50 statements as part of their murder investigation back in 2015-2016. Five of those statements were subsequently changed. All five were changed by friends of Molly Martin's. And of the five people who changed their statements, I think it was three of them gave evidence at the hearing on Molly Martin's behalf. And it was very emotional as the judge was dealing with the sentencing because there was a, a brief straw poll done amongst the Irish journalists that were there. And actually, we thought that given how devastating and outrageous the claims made by the defence were, that there was actually quite a strong chance that they would walk free on the basis of time served, which was three years and eight months already in custody. But when the judge made the order that they would have to go back and serve another seven months, which was very disappointing to the Corbett family. But I think at least the judge avoided the scenario of both Tom and Molly Martins walking jubilantly free from the courthouse on the day. Mm. One of Molly's friends actually went to confront Tracy Corbett Lynch. My goodness. Jason's sister shouted her name and physically ran towards her. Now, both Tracy's husband, Dave, and uh, Jason Corbett's uh, best friend, Paul Dillon, who's been an incredible support to the family, they both physically stepped in front of Tracy to shield her. But at that point, then, there was two of the sheriffs uh, grabbed this woman, dragged her out of the scene, took her outside the courthouse and warned her to leave the area immediately. Now, obviously, you were focusing your attention on the the court uh, itself and the people in it who were all kind of interested parties. He's probably a few rubberneckers who yep. turn up for things like this. Yeah. But do you have any sense of what the, the, the greater population in the area thought? I mean, did, uh, you, know, you know, the pals of Jason Corbett, he must have had work pals and so on. Yeah. Did they rally round to say, this is a disgrace, what has happened? I think that was the feeling, Pat. Um, but I think they were very upset. They had gone out of their way to support the family. Um, the Sunday before the actual sentencing hearing began, there was a balloon release organised by Sarah Corbett as a gesture of support towards victims of domestic violence. There was a huge turnout of former colleagues of Jason Corbett. There was neighbours. There was uh, children that had been in school with Jack and Sarah when they were in the States. So uh, at grassroots level, there's an enormous amount of solidarity for the family. Uh, I think the reality is that it was expected 
I think, within North Carolina once the Court of Appeal had ruled in favour of Tom and Molly, I think there was always an expectation that there was never going to be a very heavy yeah. sentence. I mean, that Court of Appeal was uh, to decide on a new trial. Yes. And once that machinery started, yes. I suppose the inevitability of at least a discussion about a plea bargain, which is what happened, yeah. and they got their plea bargain and they will serve relatively little time. Uh, Molly Martins, though, has got to be psychiatrically evaluated. I mean, yeah. on the face of it, she's a fantasist. Yeah. Um, compulsive liar. Compulsive of liar, all of those things. But is that going to impact on how long she stays in jail or... I think it depends, Pat. She doesn't have a great history of behaviour in prison. She's already been cited, I think, is three or four times for breaches of prison rules. So we're waiting to see, will that impact on her early release date? Um, what was actually intriguing within the, the sentencing hearing was a couple of references to the fact that um, Molly Martins was assessed by a psychiatrist, a Dr. David Adams, as part of the whole plea bargain process. And what he found out was that Molly Martins had had already planned and checked on her rights to the children before she ever married Jason yeah. Corbett. So the indications are that her plan to somehow get a custody, an emergency custody scenario of the two children was in place ever before she married Jason Corbett mm. in June 20, 2011. Oh, she's truly a wicked woman. Well, I think she has a lot to answer for. And I think, think certainly the legacy of hurt and damage that she has caused. And I think let's not forget at the centre of this whole tragedy are two children who were orphaned by the actions of Tom and Molly Martins. And then worse still, two children that not, not only had to live under the legacy of what was done to their father, but then had to hear their birth mothers, the circumstances of her death being dragged through the courts in terms of whether it was a homicide, when I think everybody who knows the facts knows it wasn't a homicide. And then the, the realisation that as little kids, yeah. they were forced to lie by Molly Martins. Yeah, exactly. As both children, and it was incredibly, I mean, I'm covering courts a long, long time, Pat. I've been in court cases that I wish I had never covered because of the, the emotional fallout from it. But to actually sit in that court and see the videos of the two children, the eight and 10 year old Jack and Sarah, and then look over and see the 19 and 17 year old Jack and Sarah, and both of them in their victim impact statements describe the hurt and the anguish of hearing their own words be weaponized to basically help defend the people who took their father's life. Ralph, it's an extraordinary story, and I hope we shall not see it uh, like again. Um, some of the texts coming in so far this morning, uh, we were talking earlier, Ralph, you and I, about the far right. This far right expression is like the term populism, evidently caused by flabby thinking. Clarity of thinking and debate is a craft to learn. Left-wingers seem uh, glorified, consequently, by main media bias. Children accessing hard porn should be removed, but it's never even discussed, for example. God, we discuss it endlessly on the program. How do you cope with the problem of porn? Um, uh, this one here on foot of the um, the tweet from Mary Lou MacDonald, if indeed it was she, history only starts the day after the OMA bombing uh, for Sinn Féin. That's according to that texter and many more texts coming in. Ralph, thank you very much an honor for to be here, coming over to the Radisson Blue in Little Island from where we are broadcasting because this is the location of the Science Summit for 2023. But Ralph, thank you very much.